Those of you guys who are online, thanks for being a part of what God is doing here. If my voice is a little lower today, it's because I'm trying to fight off what's called a cold. Now, I, I know that may be unfamiliar over the last two years that everything is COVID, but there is actually something called a cold, and I am proving to you right now that I actually have what's called a cold. So they do exist, so I just want to make sure you know, that you are aware of that. Also, um, Halloween, the festival, the Harvest Festival that we did, awesome. It was, you, know, you got to see that. You got to hear from Christine, just some of the celebrations. Uh, I have a personal whim. See, as a pastor, you know you've arrived when at youth ministry, they have a costume contest. And when they have a costume contest, that uh, the winner of uh, the middle school costume contest was this person named Jaden. Jaden dressed up as me. And he won. And so I know that I've arrived now. You know, if people dress up as me and they win, well done. Jaden, I don't know whether to be proud or really be just, uh, I don't know, uh, insulted, you know, by, 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 I guess that's what I look like. So, but Jaden, well done. Excited that our youth ministry had a chance to do that as well. Welcome to our second week in our series. I guess I'm the only one that thought it was funny. Uh, the, it was called Word to the Wise. In this series, we're looking at the importance, the wisdom, and the guidance that comes from God through his word. Remember, it's not a book that's just meant to be read. It is actually Jesus who is the word in relationship with us that we get to encounter on a regular basis. And I want to remind you that we are doing devotionals through this series that you can find at our website through sermon resources that go along with the passages that we are talking about that you can actually do on a regular basis because that was the takeaway last week. It was to spend some time, find a place and location where you were going to spend time with the creator of the universe and his name is Jesus. And so with that, our core verse in this series is 2 Timothy 3, 15 and 16, where Paul tells Timothy, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we're gonna be unpacking that through these next four weeks, including this day. Now, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. So um, how many of you guys would like to hear the good news first? Raise your hands, put it in the chat. Okay, bad news first. All right. This is what most people say. Most people like, you know, bad news first. Now, the encouragement is um, I'm only going to give you the bad news. Uh, there, there isn't much good news. Actually, the bad news is that Jesus, through his word and through others, corrects us, disciplines us, and rebukes us. But what's fascinating is that although it doesn't feel pleasant and it may seem bad, it's actually good news, if not great news for us. But that sounds funny. Like, wait a minute, discipline, correction, rebuke, right? I couldn't pass this sermon off on anybody else. They said, Dan, you have to preach this one. So that's what I get to talk about. Now, I remember, you know, signing up my junior year in uh, football in high school. And we got a brand new coach, and he sat us down. And he said, all right, gentlemen, I want to let you guys know something. I'll be absolutely truthful with you. Number one. You guys do not have athletic ability in order to beat the other teams of this conference. Number two, you are smaller 
than every other team in this conference. Number three, you are not as fast as the other teams in this conference. You know, a real pep talk. We're just getting excited now. But he said this. He goes, but here's what I promise you. You will be the most well-conditioned team in this conference, and by the end of most games, we will win or we will be in all of them. And I sat back going, this is not going to be pleasant. This is not going to be fun. And it turned out to be exactly what he said. Practices, now I don't know what they do today in sissy la-la land, but back then, (laughs) you didn't end some practices until somebody actually threw up. You know, this is the kind of things that we kind of glorify the past, which is kind of like, you know, not good. But, you know, um, we were so well conditioned, and yet so often, I can't tell you how many practices I came to like, can I just please be sick? Uh, you know, coach, hamstring, pull me out. I mean, I just didn't want to go through that. And then he would discipline us and he would rebuke us and he would correct us over and over and over again. But guess what? By the end of the season, although we were predicted by the newspapers in our conference to finish two and seven, we finished seven and two and were in every single game because when it came to the fourth quarter, they nicknamed us the cardiac kids because we gave our parents heart attacks because we continued to push, 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 and you'd be down by 15 points, 20 points going to the fourth quarter, and the other team started to get tired, and that's when we made our move. Our coach was right. Now notice that we didn't have a say in what was gonna happen. We didn't have a vote. We didn't sign up and say, hey, before you coaches tell us what's gonna happen, we wanna make sure that we have a democratic process here so that we're all on the same page. No, it was his way or the highway. Now, when I say this, you need to understand, when you decide to sign up to follow Jesus, do you understand what you're signing up for? We're not signing up just for fire insurance, folks. We are signing up to have him be our master, him to be our teacher, him to be our Lord, not just our savior. And what Jesus says is what we're supposed to follow, even if we don't understand, even if it hurts, even if it doesn't make sense, because we trust that Jesus knows best. We trust that he has our best interest in mind, even if we don't understand whatever it is that we might be going through. Uh, Let me say it maybe a little differently. If you and I choose to follow Jesus, we are adopted into his family. And guess what? My family has rules in it. So does yours. So does Jesus's. And the rules are there to help us in relationship with the other members of the family, brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as with God our Father. And when we disobey the rules, just like in my family, there is opportunity for us to be disciplined, for us to go through some correction, and maybe for us to go through some rebuking. See, God, our Father, corrects and disciplines us through his word. But it's important to know the why behind the what. If you don't understand the why behind the what, then these rules can be very legalistic. These rules can feel like they're constraints when actually they're there to bring us life and hope and purpose and peace because the reason that God wants to correct and discipline us is because he knows best who we are and who we should be. He knows best 
your life. He knows best how he wired and designed you to conform to the image of his son. He knows the purpose and the fulfillment and the plans that he has for you in life. And when we step out of that plan, out of that design, out of that purpose that he has for us, we will receive correction. We will receive discipline, but it's for his glory and for our good. Now, I was asking people, because I started thinking about this in my own family, I don't know anybody that did not grow up in a family where you didn't receive some sort of discipline. You know, if you lied, like one of the big things in our families is because trust is such a big deal, I just tell the kids over and over and over, just don't lie. I said, it's just going to go far worse for you and far worse for us if you lie, even if you're in trouble. So we walk through this you know, with them on a regular basis. And so I started thinking about discipline and some of the punishments that I'd received. And so I had a little fun. I decided to throw out on social media, uh, what has been the funniest or most unusual discipline or punishment that you have received or given out? Legendary stuff. Three of which I cannot mention because I'm afraid CPS would actually call the cops on some of these, these parents. So here's what I wanted to choose you know, for you. Sue said, I left my stepson a bill or invoice for maid services for cleaning up his pigsty room when he was 18 or 19 years of age and still living at home. I couldn't stand the stench permeating the house any longer. Funny thing is, is he paid the bill without any complaint. Well done, Sue. Well, well done. Uh, Joshua said, when I was a kid, I slammed the door and my mom made me open and shut it softly a hundred times. And I have done the same to my kids. Which other people were popping on and said, yep, I've done that as well. And others talked about how when the door got slammed too many times, they actually took the hinges and took the door and removed it itself. Raise your hands, put it in the chat if that ever happened to you or some of you know. That's right, no slam on the doors. And so there's some discipline that takes place there. Uh, Janet said, a kid in our middle school, you know, during the school, uh, who was getting in trouble, had the punishment of his mom who came to school with him for three days. (laughs) This is not in the movies, folks. This is actually really happened. I'm like, that's legendary right there. But I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. This next one was my absolute favorite. And Nicole said, I told my oldest when she was around five that if she disobeyed, she'd get eaten by a big fish. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. That's gonna scare the kid half to death. You know, I'm sure you know, Jonah or something had something to do with that. Uh, Dinah said, this is her punishment. Toes to toes, and nose to nose when the kids were fighting. Stand that way until they aren't mad. They're toes to toes and nose to nose, and usually they start laughing in about a minute. Uh, The other, she said, was push-ups in the Target parking lot, again, for fighting with one another. Uh, I had two other references, you know, on this one. (laughs) One where a family, uh, when the siblings didn't get along, they tied a rope around their waist that was 10 feet long and uh, until they started getting along. And then if they continued to fight, the rope reduced in length by one foot every time they fought until they were within, you know, a foot of each other until they got to know one another. Uh, Others I've read, you know, who said they had an oversized T-shirt. It's the get along shirt. And uh, they would put both the kids in the shirt with both arms, you know, out, you know, through it until they actually got along. Anybody do that? You know, as well, okay, I know you don't want to get CPS on you either. I get it. Um, Megan said, I drove over my kid's handheld video game unit. That's legendary. Um, I made him place it behind my tire. 
wow, crazy thing is it didn't even break. You know, so <laughs> those things are indestructible. Chris said, well, she, well, while she was driving, my grandmother got tired of my music, so she proceeded to push the eject button and flung it out the driver's side window. That's one way to, to deal with that. Uh, eject buttons, uh, for those of you in the millennial generation, that would be a cassette tape or something called a CD. And they would have this in your cars and you put it in your... Anyway, all right. Uh, Larry said, but this is my uh, uh, favorite. We'll move on from here. When my daughter Nicole was about six years old, I caught her doing something I told her not to do. So six swats was the punishment. But I didn't want to do it, so I told her that I was gonna take the punishment and she had to swat me hard. She started crying and said, no, daddy. I got a paddle and I bent over her bed and made her give me six swats. She never cried so hard. Afterward, I held her in my arms and told her that's what Jesus did for us. He took our punishment. It was so effective that Jamie actually wrote a paper about it in college. Powerful. What a great visual. What a great picture of the punishment that was supposed to go upon us goes upon Jesus so that when we're adopted into his family, he has full right, he has full authority, he has full ownership to bring rebuke and correction and discipline in our lives. Which is why in Hebrews, it sounds funny at first, but it's true, chapter 12, verse five says, and have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, this is the encouraging words, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, here's the point, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living by those who are trained in this way. Discipline and abuse are not the same things. There is appropriate levels of discipline and correction and rebuke that actually help us to be who Christ wants and designed us to be. It's for our good and for his glory again. And so that's the first reason. Second reason that he, he provides us in our lives is so the team, the family of God, which is the church, can flourish and win. So when we get along with one another, we're representing Jesus not just individually, but we're representing Jesus collectively as churches coming together. And it's Jesus's idea to create the church that as we get along, as we find correction from God and we correct one another, we flourish together. We're able to do things that we never could do individually. And because God gets the credit and he gets the glory through his people. So here's the key. Our response, our response to God's correction and discipline through his word is what's essential. So we know he happens, but how do we respond to those things when it happens? Now, I know that one of the things that sometimes we have a hard time is, is admitting to God that we have sinned. To sin means to miss the mark of God's standard. Uh, and all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And so all of us have made mistakes, but it's almost like you're like, I'm ashamed. And I feel shame, I feel guilty. Have you ever done that with your kids where you, you know what they did was wrong and you just want them to admit, want them to own what they did was wrong. And we have a hard time doing that with God because we think for some reason that God's going to look down on us and he's not going to like us anymore. He's not going to love us anymore or he's going to be ashamed of us. But here's the thing that we forget. God already knows. 
even if you don't share it, he knows everything that you think, everything that you've ever said, and everything that you and I have ever done, which was what we read. How do I know that? God's word. Hebrews chapter four says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing in all creation is hidden from him. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. So God's word points out where we have fallen short, and there's sins of commission, things that you know you shouldn't do that you do. There's sins of omission, which are things that you know you should do, but you decide not to do. There's all ways that we fall short on a regular basis. And since he knows, what he's looking for is a response He's looking for us to respond to what he already knows. Now, what's really cool is if we respond in the way that God wants us to respond, knowing that he already knows, we can see how Jesus views this. Because I know I have this feeling. A lot of times uh, we think that the discipline or the correction that God gives is based on our upbringing. And so we have a hard time saying, well, my father did this, or my father didn't do this. That must mean how God does it, and that's just not true. And your experience may or may not be represent what God does. So what's so cool about the Bible is it shows us how does God discipline, when, especially when things are laid bare. And one of my favorite stories that illustrates this is the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. And she's thrown before Jesus in front of a group of people. Now, last time I checked, adultery happens between two people and not one. But only she is thrown before the crowd and before Jesus. And this is what it says in John chapter 8. The law of Moses tells us to stone her. What do you say, Jesus? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, what most scholars think who study the Bible is that he's actually writing down sins, people who've missed the mark, who are about ready to stone because he's not responding to them. And the reason that they think that is because they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and wrote in the dust again, which would lend us to believe that that's actually what he's writing. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And then Jesus said this, neither do I. Go and sin no more. So you might remember last week we talked about how Jesus came as the word personified, full of grace and truth. Neither do I accuse you, grace. Go and sin no more, truth. Now it's fascinating because in this very same story, Jesus is bringing correction and discipline and grace and truth to everybody in the circle. But notice how certain people responded, the crowd, and notice how the woman responded. What a powerful example for us. See, our response to God's revelation that we've missed the mark, that we've sinned, is to confess our sins to him and, at times, to one another. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. 
But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. To confess literally means to agree with God that what we did was wrong. That's what confess means. I am agreeing with you, God. That's it. See, God forgives us as far as the east and from the west, our past, our present, and our future sins when we come into the presence of God. But we confess by agreeing with God that what we have said, done, or not done is wrong. And 1 John 1.10 goes on to say, if we claim we've not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I mean, isn't that the point when you have kids around? You, you, you correct them. You say, hey, you know, this is wrong. You, you, you know, you start teaching them. But after a while, they know it's wrong. What do you want to hear from them? Say, I'm sorry. For what? And they're supposed to say what they're sorry for. Why would you even ask them to do it? Because you're trying to teach a child to agree that what they have done is wrong. And they're verbally agreeing to their parent out of love for them that what they have done, they're admitting is wrong, which produces growth in their life. We are God's kids. That's why he's asking us to do that as well. And so here's my question. Is, uh, actually, before I get to the question, is to confess also brings them out, not just forgiveness, but it brings healing. When we do this with other people, there's a healing nature to it. James 5.16 says, confess your sins, not just to God, but to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. You're forgiven by God, but there's some healing that takes place when you're able to verbalize and confess and talk to other people, asking them for forgiveness or just admitting to them that you've done wrong. All of a sudden, it exposes it to the light and it's out of the darkness and it has no power anymore and you find some healing that begins to take place, not just forgiveness, which is beneficial for who? You and for me. And so here's my question for you. Is there something that you need to confess to God or another person? Let me rephrase, because I wrote it down wrong. What is something that you need to confess to God or another person? All of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short. We all have things on a regular basis, which is why one of the reasons we take communion on a regular basis, not to remind us of our shame, but to remind us of the forgiveness that's freely given to us as we freely confess our sins to him. Now, here's what I can be honest with you about. A critical spirit is one of the hardest people for me to be around. I don't know about you, but somebody just is constantly a critical spirit. Um, some would call it the, the gift of truth-telling. I don't call it that. It's just negative Nelly all the time. There's gotta be something positive. And so understand this, as part of God's family, his team, we're called to keep each other accountable through his word. Now, this is where some people are like, finally, I can't, I've been waiting for Dan to give me the green light to just go crazy on people and expose all their sins because, man, I know a lot of people that's got a lot of sin in their life. Again, if you're a follower of Jesus, one of the things that we tend to do, and I mentioned this last week, is we tend to take the words of God that are intended for the people of God and try to place them on the people who don't know God. And what I didn't mention you know, to you last week was this would be an example. Imagine you get an email. And in the email, it said, Professor so-and-so, and they wanted to let you know that you are failing their class. And you are failing their class because you didn't turn in your assignments, you didn't show up on time, and you didn't participate in the class when you were asked to. 
and you respond back, I never signed up for the class. How am I getting an F in the class when I never signed up for the class in the first place? Which is what we do to the non-Christian world, and we read some of these words of God that are not intended for them. They're intended for God's people, which is most of the New Testament letters, to be able for, as part of the family, that we are agreeing and ascribing to Jesus being Lord and Savior and following his rules, and we take that and say, why aren't you following these rules? You need to be corrected. You need to be ashamed. You need to be you know, disciplined. And they're looking at you like, I'm not in your family. Imagine if you took the neighbor's kid and you just start disciplining them. I know that worked in the 50s, people, but today you get the cops called on you, right? That's not how it's set up until they agree to be a part of the family, you know, along those lines. You know, a lack of coachability is a death nail in life. It really is. If you're not willing to be coached, you won't. You won't find yourself growing in most areas of your life. And Jesus wants to coach you. And Jesus wants to come and help correct you. And he does it through his people. Now, here's the key, though. When you and I have an opportunity to bring correction to other followers of Jesus, our motivation to confront another teammate or family member has to be out of love for them. It's not a gotcha opportunity. It's not a, I'm mad at you, and so now I get to get revenge on you. If your motivation isn't right, then you shouldn't do it. It shouldn't be something that should come from you. Galatians 6.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Another thing from God's word in James chapter five, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that what, whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. So how does God's word tell us to lovingly correct a fellow teammate or family member? How are we supposed to do this? Well, obviously we cancel them. That's what we're supposed to do. Right? You know, that's, that's, that's why we're taught. Like, well, if somebody makes a mistake, you know, whether it be from 20 years ago or from last week, then we're supposed to just cancel them. We're supposed to write them off. Or, or maybe we're supposed to just, just uh, blog about them. Maybe we're supposed to, you know, put a social media post about them. Or my favorite in Christian circles, let's pray for them. This is what we do. We come, we come to a small group, and, and, and this, is, this would be an example. Hey, anybody got any prayer requests? Well, you know, I got a prayer request. Well, what's your prayer request? Well, I'm having problems with Sue. Really, what's going on with Sue? Well, Sue, last week, you should have heard what she said to me in my kitchen. You know, when she you know, was disrespectful and she did all of these things, you know, on a regular basis. And so then there's a 20-minute conversation about what Sue did to this person's life. And they're like, oh, well, now we need to pray for them. That's not prayer. That's gossip. That's all that is in the form of spiritualism, in the form of prayer. And so that's not what we're supposed to do. In fact, here's what Matthew says first in chapter 7, verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, okay, so you know that there's a relationship involved. Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. So this is exactly what we do. We don't look in the mirror. We're like, you know what? Let me help you with the issues you have in your life. 
Right? Let me just tell you, you got some gossip going on, girl. You need to just kind of stop that. Man, you got some lust that's taking place in your life, you know, my friend. And, you know, we just got to be able to, to help you. You know, your you, way you're disciplining your kid, it's just not working. You know, so let me just help you along the lines. And when you're looking at, and, and you're looking at that person like, are you nuts? Do you not see this ginormous piece of wood in your own eye? And so our first step is to actually look into the mirror and see if there's something we need to correct. I cannot tell you how many times I meet with couples or parents or friends who have issues, but they're completely blinded to their own issues as they see other people's issues. All right, let's look in the mirror as we look at this. In fact, Jesus tells us exactly how to do this in Matthew 18, which is where we'll wrap up. If another believer sins against you. Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. So here's how Jesus outlines through his word how we're supposed to, according to his word, if someone has sinned, how do we know they sinned? God's word lets us know that. And how are we supposed to deal with it? Step one, go one-on-one. Not an email, not a text message, This is a face-to-face conversation. Now, in COVID, Zoom is okay. We'll let that slide, you know, during this season as well. If that doesn't work, if that doesn't reunite, if the person does not admit wrongdoing after you've looked at yourself in the mirror and you're trying to help this person, your motivation is to love them, they're your friend, then take one or two others. This is not a gang-up session. The one or two others should be people who have no vested interest except for the good of the person who's actually done the sin against you. And so you're going to them pleading, trying to help them see the error of their ways as it pertains to their relationship with God and the relationship with you. Now, and if that doesn't work, then you take it to the church. Now, taking it to the church doesn't mean we're going to haul people up on stage and have, all right, guilty, not guilty, you know, or all that kind of stuff. That's not the way we do it. When it says take it to the church, what that means is someone in biblical authority. That could be a life group leader. That's what it means taking it to the church. It could be a pastor. It could be our elders. You know, it kind of ramps up from there as we begin to walk through this. And we've done this on, from occasion after occasion, you know, as it pertains to what God's doing amongst his people. And then lastly, they're no longer part of the specific family of God. And that sounds harsh, but the purpose is so that the person would realize, wait a minute, what have I done? And hopefully repent, confess, and come back into the family. The purpose is not good, they're gone. Right? This is the last resort. I've been here six years, and this has happened twice in six years. Where we've said, you're kind of a wolf in sheep's clothes, and we've tried to talk, we've tried to love over months and months and months, and you actually get to this point of loving correction still in the hope that they would turn and follow after God. So why? Why do we do all this? Because God wants you to become the person he created you to be. And the way that you're able to know that is through his word. And the word to the wise is a wise person is willing to be disciplined by his father. 
A wise person is willing to be disciplined you know, by brothers and sisters. A person who holds pride above all else will refuse to find any error or fault in their own lives and they'll only look to the fault of other people. But that's not what Jesus lived or what he modeled. So as we close, your next step, what do you need to confess before God and or another person? What is something? What is something that you know that you need to agree with God? You have been forgiven. You need to bring it before him and just say, God, I agree with you that my involvement with materialism, my involvement with lust, my involvement you know, with gossip, my involvement with, you fill in the blank. I agree with you that this is actually hurting my relationship with you and with other people. I confess this to you now and receive the healing that comes from him. And so we've done something a little bit different today and we've saved a couple songs to the last. And what we're gonna do is in their time of worship, right where you're seated or as you're watching online, that you would take some time as we're singing these songs to confess it to God. And then I'm gonna ask some of you to do some brave things because God's spirit is working in your life right now. And you know that you gotta do the next thing and you need somebody else to come along with you to receive the healing as we confess our sins to one another that we would be healed. We're gonna have people in this corner and we're gonna have people in this corner as we sing the song. And for those of you who are watching online, the online host is gonna help walk this through with you as well. And if during these next two songs, you're like, you know what, I just need to confess. I remember being in college, and um, in college, I was like, you know what, I, I could find myself falling too much into lust and temptation. And I went to a conference, and when I went to the conference, it felt like the speaker was talking right to me. And he's like, one of the ways that you're gonna find freedom is by exposing this. You may have talked to God over and over and over, but just by, by talking about it with a prayer partner, and I don't know what compelled me, but when it was time to worship, I got out of my seat and I walked humbly over and I, had, and I confessed and I had somebody pray for me and I walked out of that place different than when I came in. There was a freedom, there was a lightness, there was, there was a wholeness that was taking place to say, you know what, I, I'm not alone in this. And here's the coolest part, there is no sin that is shocking to God. And let me go a step further. You won't shock me either. There is nothing. There is nothing. The only thing I have not heard live is I just killed somebody and you're the first person I told. That's the only thing. I have heard it all. And guess what? I still love you. And God does even more. He wants it to come to the light that we might receive the healing that we desperately need in order for us to find the word to the wise that'll help us become more like Jesus. So although this sounds like a bad news sermon, it's actually really good news, and it could be defining news in your life. And so why don't we pray, and then why don't we go into this time of worship, and at the very least, right where you're at, that you would say, God, here, I need to confess this to you. And if you want to go a step further, those opportunities are made available both here as well as online. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. For this time and this space to be able to connect to you. God, you already know <laughs> everything that's going on. And we know that some of the things that are holding us back to being the individual or the church or the people that you've called us to be is sin. 
Father, I pray that you would just allow your spirit to lead and guide right now. That you would bring to heart and mind what those things are, especially the ones that are habitual, the ones that are ongoing. That you would help us to confess that to you. Thank you. We already know you forgive us. And maybe, Father, there's someone in here in this room on this day or who's watching online right now who's not yet received you that you tell us that we've got to confess who you are, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that you are Lord. And I pray that, that there would be people in this room and online that would just in their own hearts right now repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. I confess all that I am to you. Teach me what it means to be a follower of you through your word and through the lives of other believers. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.